Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda Farrow. And I'm Michael Footer. Each episode, we'll cover the biggest business beats and bring in expert commentary from lawyers, analysts, and industry pros. This is episode 132, Slurpin' from the Game Fire Hose. Did you know that if you use one game slurp on Jeff Keighley, you get three <laughs> Jeff Keighleys. Do you get, does that mean that you get double the amount of point bees? Double point bee. August. <laughs> <laughs> We're just full of memes now we from are. Summer Game Fest. We are. But it's been a little, it's been a moment. It's been a sec. Um, it's been very busy around Shea F Squared, and therefore virtual economy sort of fell down to the bottom of our priority list. Yeah, for those of you who have been working with us on the consulting side, know that we blocked out the first two weeks of June. My mom was in town. We had three promotion slash graduation ceremonies, concerts. Like, it has been a cluster truck. Man, the household's non-stop. It is. <laughs> and I just wish it would in fact stop. And here we are. It's a Friday. We're recording episode 132 about slurpings and games. Uh, we are going to kick off this episode. In fact, uh, everything in the top half of the show, for the most part, uh, up until Investment Interlude, is us just talking about uh, kind of our learnings and our takeaways on the trend side from not E3, or as some people are calling it, Key 3, like Jeff Keighley. That's very silly. Now, I, actually, before we kick off talking about this year, uh, the ESA, uh, interesting interview with um, Nathan Grayson over yeah. at Washington Post. Nathan Grayson continuing to do most excellent work at the Washington Post yeah. on, his, on his beats and streaming labor and shenanigans yeah. so he had the opportunity to talk to stanley pierre louis who is the head of the esa during that conversation and huge props to nathan for this asked him point blank about the nonsense bullshit lie about oh covid made us cancel e3 this year which i had heard long before they, they blamed omicron and i had heard from sources way before omicron that e3 was canceled so it was bullshit they did not deny it outright they danced around it, but they absolutely did not deny it. The other piece of that is the ESA is hopeful and they want to bring E3 back next year. So it will, And also at the end of uh, Summer Game Fest, Jeff Keighley said that there is going to be a live in-person event. There was a press event. That was like not Judges Week. No, it was it was definitely an invite only kind of situation. Yep. Like the way E3 used to be, which is you had to be invited to go. Mm -hmm. You yep. couldn't just show up. You couldn't just like buy your way into it. It was you had to have qualified in order to be there, either be by being a part of the industry and your company paid for your pass as an exhibitor or an attendee, or you were there as press. Yes. Um, and now as influencers, which is fine, because content creators and influencers are very important. Mm -hmm. Part um, of the ecosystem. The, they're, they're very important within the landscape. So it's interesting, like, what came out of the in-person event, because there were some people that were like, yeah, it was really interesting, it was nice, but mostly everyone just misses everyone. So... Yeah. I, the, the big sense that I got... At this, you know, exactly, is that people were like, I'm really glad I got to see people. Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily just about the games. It was that for a lot of, for a lot of us, you know, we haven't seen each other since 
either very early 2020 or late 2019. Yeah, our last event was PAX East in March of 2020. Until and, GDC right, of this year. Right. I, I mean, bracketing the, the pandemic, I ended up in, in Montreal for work mm-hmm. right after PAX. Right. And then we came home and we're locked down. Yep, pretty much. So we're going to go through things kind of in chronological order um, and just give some some quick takeaways. Um, the first up was, in fact, Summer Games Fest. Um, I, I'm going to be honest. I think this was probably the flattest. It was really lukewarm for me, especially considering how kind of like the the after show last year, I think, was very developer oriented because we were taking a look at Unreal 5. And it was neat. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I thought it was an interesting. It was an interesting thing to to be able to take a look at. But yep. The, but they also preceded it with a really strong showing for Summer Games Fest. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel that way about Summer Games Fest this year. I, I didn't. And quite frankly, yeah, like it sucks for for Jeff and for the folks at Naughty Dog that Sony is the one who leaked the Last of Us Part One. Can you imagine? Remake. Like. That, that, that's the call coming from inside the house. Like, this isn't just... <laughs> and here's why we say this. We joke about the Walmart Canada leak, right? That's kind of... That, that hasn't... It's not even a joke among us anymore. It's literally the catalyst for a series of panels at PAX. It, it's true. <laughs> so we talk about that, but, but one of the things that I have urged publishers for a decade plus is you don't need to drive people to pre-orders the moment your announcement goes live. No. Retailers, big retailers can get that stuff in the system quickly. And the reason why I say that is because we saw it with WB a lot. I can't remember how many Batman games were were spoiled in their, their announcements were spoiled because they just had to get them in the retailer system. So the morning of the announcements, the retailers pushed it early. It's like, Oh, this game's getting announced today. Clearly. Yeah. And and I mean, it subverts all the hard work that marketing puts in and quite frankly, PR. Yeah. You know, these are not easy events to coordinate and especially for folks working in marketing and PR, like it's a slog. Yeah. And, and the problem with, the Last of Us Part 1 announcement. I don't think we had a chance to talk about this. No, we definitely didn't have a chance to talk about this on the show. But you and I talked about this extensively. Is that, A, the price point is ridiculous. It is. It's a $70 price point for a game they're calling. And this is the other part. We all read the marketing copy first, which was, oh, built from the ground up. And then they're on stage at Summer Games Fest. And they're saying, oh, well, we remapped these things. And we did this. And we used these old assets. And we cleaned them up. And it's like, that's not a ground up remake. And that's fine. That it's, it's okay. not. Work smart. But don't call it a ground up remake if it's not. And I talked to some developers about this. And I'm like, am I crazy here? Am I crazy? Is this just bad marketing copy? And, and, and everybody has said to me, yeah, this is terrible marketing copy. Because it's objectively not ground up. Now, you talk about Resident Evil 2. Mm-hmm. And Resident Evil 3 remakes as a Those contrast. Those are absolute remakes. Absolute. Absolutely. They're done in brand new engines. They're done in all of the, every single Not asset is Not just brand remade. new engines, but RE engine, RE engine is so which good. is an absolute, it's an absolutely glorious engine. And we are blessed to have it as players. Yeah. So the fact that that one last thing was completely 
outed it, moments before. Like it was an hour, two hours before. It was about two hours before. But for me, it wasn't even that. It was that the rest of the show was just lackluster. Yeah. Now, from a format perspective, I really do appreciate the way Jeff structures this. I oh, think, for sure. I think showing some of the game, whether that's a trailer or gameplay, and then having short interviews on stage. Yeah, that's really, really powerful. It's a great, it's a great format, but I think that we're kind of stuck in this place right now. Um of like, listen, I don't care about Call of Duty. And honestly, I can't remember the last time Call of Duty did. So- I think it was um, the one when it was in space. Uh, Infinite Warfare. Infinite Warfare. The one with uh, Jon Snow. With yeah. With Harrington. Yeah. yeah. I think that was the last time that Call of Duty did anything interesting for me personally. And it was really flat. I'm watching this and I was bored. Yeah, I was. Absolutely bored by Call of Duty. And I want to say this as someone who... That was my popcorn game every single year for a number of years, and I just... I ruined it. (laughs) No, I don't think you ruined it. I think Activision, I think it got stale, and that's what happens after a while, right? Series get stale, and they need an injection of new creativity. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't, but but just remaking old Call of Duty games, I I don't know. It's not for me. I'm sure it's going to sell well, but it's not for me. Um, one thing I didn't put on this list, and I want to point point it out as a contrast because we talked about Jeff's format. IGN did their show again, and I want to say it was absolutely the worst show that we watched. And here's why. And like, listen, not to hate on IGN at all, because this is not about us being like, IGN sucks. No, that's not how we feel. No, but, feel but IGN absolutely must do better because here's the thing. It costs money to be part of these showcases. IGN was literally just trailer after trailer after trailer after trailer. With no context, with no, with no nothing. Like it felt, it felt like it was just an advertising campaign for, I don't know, for IGN at the same time, because there Mm -hmm. were a lot of commercials about IGN. Also stop taking money from the U.S. Army, please. Come on. I'm staying away from that as a Canadian. But... This also points out, and this is something I said on Twitter, and I'm going to reiterate it here if you didn't see the thread, trailers have to serve a purpose. They have to tell a story. There has to be an arc to your trailer, and it has to have a beginning, middle, and end. And it has to, you have to think about what are we trying to teach people or tell people about our game with our trailer? Because what, sure. what ends up happening is we saw so many trailers during IGN. I watched this. I'm like, I have no idea what this game is. This is a terrible trailer. The sound is muffled. And IGN is taking money for this and offering nothing in return to the developers. And I want to contrast that with uh, Gorilla Collective. And Wholesome, wholesome Games. Wholesome Games. And... Um, Especially, what was the one that I was thinking of? Uh, it was Wholesome Games, Gorilla Collective. Uh, both of them did really well. I'm trying to think. Was there was another one that also... Oh, PC Gaming Show. PC Gaming Show was, was legitimately excellent. one of my favorite shows, I think, because I love the hosts. Day9 and Mika were both that, great. I think that Day9 is very funny and very, like, adorably dorky. He's adorkable. And Mika is, like the cutest human being in the universe like she's so so cute and like they were both really fantastic um they were just really fantastic so i think from an entertainment perspective i was most entertained by the pc gaming show mm-hmm. so i'm really excited for next year um and they actually showed a bunch of games that i want to play yeah i mean and that's that's typically the case i've been really happy with the pc gaming show in the past but i, I just want to leave you if you are working on a game and you are at the point where you have to put a trailer out Get 
outside eyes on your trailer who from people who know nothing about your game or very little about your game. Because if they come away and say, and you ask them, what did you get away? What do you know about our game from, from this trailer? And they're like, I don't actually know what genre it is. I don't know what the, what the play style is like. Is this, you know, you, you, what you showed isn't useful for me in determining whether or not I want to wishlist this game. So here's my suggestion. My suggestion to all indies, if you are putting a trailer together, you're cutting it for a show, go back and watch the Guerrilla Collective's showcases. Go back and watch Wholesome Games Direct. These two shows all by themselves, and in addition to the PC gaming show as well, they will show you as an indie how to cut your trailers and how to how how to showcase your game in such a capacity that it has impact and it creates better understanding, which will convert to a wish list, which will, in theory, also convert to a sale. And there's a lot of data out there now about how to calculate wish list numbers to sales numbers. Sure, I do conversion recommend, rates are very interesting. Yeah, I absolutely recommend signing up for Simon Parkin's Game Discover Co. newsletter, mm-hmm. and also how to market your game. Uh, Chris Zakowski is another newsletter that I strongly recommend. Um, and we'll talk fantastic. a little bit about the end about why why I'm mentioning those two specifically. But I think the most important thing I want you to to take away from this is stop spending money on showcases that do nothing for you. If all a showcase is doing is is going to run your trailer. Now IGN used to be better about this. The last couple of years they've actually interspersed things with context and well, deep and, dives and, and interviews. Sydney, Sydney was so interesting too because I thought that her deep dives were really cool. I loved being able to see uh, Miranda Sanchez and mm-hmm. like a lot of folks from IGN coming in and asking questions and doing interviews. I'm not sure why they got rid of it this year because last year was was entertaining and the year before was just straight up solid. Yeah, I, I think they took people's they took indie developers' money and they did not help them. And if if at the very least, I think they owed them if you're spending money on being in a show, you deserve to get some kind of feedback and like, hey, you know, I think this trailer um probably doesn't sell your game the way it does. We've we as IGN, you look at a lot of trailers. It's you true. look at a lot of trailers. It's Why true. are you not feeding this back to developers and helping them if you're charging them to be part of of this event? Okay. So that's all I really wanted. I didn't even put them in the list. But let's talk about what Netflix is doing real quick. <laughs> you mean Point P? Point P! <laughs> August. So, Point P's out now, by the way. August is something completely different. It's completely that's different. That's Dragon Age. Yeah. That's yeah. the Dragon Age uh, animated Anime. series on Netflix. So Netflix did some really interesting things during Geek Week, and we cannot talk about Netflix without talking about all of their labor issues. Yes, we're it's not going to leave that aside. It's super important that we understand the kinds of companies that we're covering. Netflix is was first to market and has had first mover advantage in a lot of ways. And unfortunately, Netflix has squandered this and has continued to hire on marginalized writers, editorial staff, critics to work with them on things like Netflix Geeked and then just gets rid of them. Yeah, it was really, really terrible. Some of my some of my favorite writers that were working behind the scenes at Netflix just were unceremoniously canned about three weeks ago. So yeah. let's not forget the companies that we are covering. So with that in mind, Netflix Geeked had a strong showing of transmedia. Right. Yes. We're talking like I have been I have been beating this drum for the last decade. 
Transmedia is not just the future, it is the now. It is here, we have to embrace it, and there is so much good to say about that. Mm-hmm. We got to see some updates for things like, we, we saw the, the Dragon Age anime, which... Mm-hmm. Honest, Dragon Age Absolution. Honestly, I got really excited about. Mm-hmm. We got to see um, an anime about Tekken, yep. which looked really interesting as well. Because if you know anything about Tekken, if you've ever played Tekken, Tekken actually has a really strong through line with its story. And that's honestly, for me, when it comes to fighting games, this is going to sound so stupid, but I actually play fighting games for the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. I, I I mean I'm I'm with you. I I actually really love. That's one of the reasons I love Nether Realm, right? Because yeah. the Injustice and Mortal Kombat stories, especially of late, have been very good. Yeah, they're some, pulpy, but they're good. Some of my favorite um, fighting game stories have been within Tekken and Soul Calibur. Absolutely. So those were those were some good ones. But then we moved into um, into the mobile games. Now we've we've talked a lot about Netflix and their approach to mobile and their approach to gaming, and like a lot. This is something that comes up every time that they have a new hire for their gaming division. Yes. So Netflix is taking gaming seriously. Mm-hmm. There are there were a number of different offerings of games that have not been published on mobile that has effectively made Netflix a mobile publisher. Yeah, it's really interesting. So this is this is one of the big beats, absolutely. So one of them is um well obviously point B. Point B is exclusive to Netflix. It but is, also, and hey, when you game... boot it up on your phone, uh-huh. like you can, bu- you can get it on any app store. If it, I think it's, I think it's on both app stores. But it's, it just come. You don't have to get it through Netflix. The application, it's just a free game. On and you log in with your Netflix ID. No. Oh. You don't do anything. It just comes up with the Netflix logo. Oh. It's just published by Netflix. Oh, interesting. Anyway, Point B is great. It's ridiculous and fun and cute. And the reason why I keep talking about Point P is because I can't stop playing it. So there are three pillars of Netflix's strategy. There is bringing established games to mobile for for their subscribers. There is taking video game properties and making animated series out of them. And then there is taking Netflix properties and making games games of them. So let's talk a little bit more first about that first pillar. Um, The game you've been in love with Terra Nil. Terra Nil. Yep. Terra Nil. So why don't you talk a little bit, because Devolver had three games that are coming to Netflix. One of them is Rain, which of course is a perfect fit and is, I believe, already on mobile. Yep. Point P was the other one. That's the developer of Downwell, if you're familiar with that. And then Terra Nil. Why don't you talk a little bit about what Terra Nil is? Because you've been playing it on PC. I have been. So I downloaded it on... I didn't just play it on PC. I played it on your Steam Deck. You it didn't, didn't, it didn't, didn't work really, very It's well. not great on the Steam Deck right now. No, it now. didn't work very well on Steam Deck, but I had to try it. I was at the kids' pediatrician appointment, and I'm like, let's see if this works. Turns out, not very well. So Terra Nil is, is a game that was clearly made for me. It was clearly made with me in mind because it is a reclamation game. It is a game that is dedicated to reclaiming the earth after it has been scorched by some kind of biological catastrophe. It's called humanity. (laughs) Okay, sure. Well, okay, so humans mess things up, I think. So anyway, you have to go through and you have to reclaim the entirety of, of this landscape. And you go through it by implementing wind turbines, which allow you to reclaim the soil, which then allows you to create different biomes, to create um, waterways, and you can actually create artificial waterways as well. 
So it's it's really interesting because it's a game that looks on its surface very easy. Like, why is this a game? This doesn't look like a game. What? Trust. It's very strategic. And you can run out of resources very easily if you're not paying attention to how you're managing reclaiming the soil and reclaiming the earth. Mm -hmm. So Terranil on mobile is going to be published, I guess? Or ported for mobile by Netflix? It's a, like I'm a not sure. platform exclusive? I guess so. Or a store? I mean, it's really interesting. This it's, whole thing is really interesting. It's not even a platform exclusive, though, because I, I... I don't know. I don't know what to call it, because it's already being published by Devolver. Yeah. Like, it's not a co-publishing deal. It, it's a... Is it a licensing I, I, I mean, deal? I maybe, don't even know what Or Netflix is. is providing money for the port. I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking is that it must be that Netflix was providing the port for mobile. Terranil is honestly brilliant. It's amazing. If you can still get it the demo after Steam Next Fest, get it. It is brilliant. Also, Steam Next Fest. If you missed out on it, there were so many great demos. Awesome. Anyway. Um, running down a couple of other kind of mobile games that netflix is is helping with yeah uh, raji is coming to for netflix subscribers spirit fair is another one mm -hmm. uh wild things animal adventures is a match three game okay um oh wait hold on that one that might be based on one of their i'm trying to keep my pillars together uh lucky luna uh which is by team alto which is oh, inspired yeah. by the japanese folk tale the tale of the bamboo cutter yeah desta the memories between which is by us too it's a turn-based strategy um and then there's I, again, I don't. I think that might be based on one of theirs. So, that, that so is that's one. one of that's that's one pillar. The next pillar is uh, video game stuff getting uh, the Netflix treatment. Of course, we know there's um, uh, the Dragon Age show, which we talked about. Tekken, uh, Dota, Dragon's Blood season two. That was the August eleventh bad ADR. Oh right. Um, Sonic Prime is another one. Castlevania is getting a sequel series called Castlevania Nocturne. Cuphead's getting season two. And then third pillar is the Netflix stuff that is getting game versions. That's correct. Yep. Shadow and Bone Destinies is a narrative RPG mobile game. This is the the one that was really, really ridiculous. Too Hot to Handle by Nanobit. It's a dating sim based on the show Too Hot to Handle. Uh, the Queen's Gambit Chess got a lot of chuckles. But also, finally made a digital game based on chess. But also, we talk about the importance yes. of theme. Yes. And this is something that I actually cannot stress enough. When we talk about board games, especially tabletop experiences, theme really does matter to a lot of people. Some people that would rather play Disney villainous probably, you know, some of them don't want to play Marvel villainous because right. they don't have the same attachment to that particular theme. Sure. Theme is so important, and if this is a way to get more people playing and understanding chess, cool. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that was kind of the big pillars for Netflix. I think it was a very well-paced show, a lot of interesting stuff. Lots of point P. Lots of point P. The point P thing, point was P was definitely funny. the winner of that day. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk. Uh, why don't you take us through kind of our big learnings from Guerrilla Collective and Wholesome Games, because those were two back-to-back -back shows, great hosts, a lot of really great context. Again, wasn't just the trailers. There was the hosts providing context and, uh, and Wholesome Games especially. Wholesome Games wasn't about the hosts. It was about the developers. Right. But there were also, they had recorded interviews exactly. or recorded statements, recorded I guess, statements they from were. the developers. But one of the things that Wholesome Games did, because I'm only saying it now because I don't want to get to, want it to get lost, there were overlays for almost every game that said the name of the game, the developer, and the release window and the platforms, I think. 
God, that was helpful. It was super helpful. And it's it and also it's not to say that I didn't love the hosts with Wholesome Direct because two of them are like our very good friends. I mean Jenny and Josh. Yeah. And we love them. We love them so much. But also I didn't want to like fan out too hard and be like, you know, my friends. You yeah. know, like just flex a little. So my yeah. friends were were helping to host it because yeah. they're amazing. So let's talk about Gorilla Collective first. Yes. I think what Gorilla Collective continues to do exceptionally well is focus on focus dogs. on <laughs> focus on dogs. Sure, let's let's go with that. Let let's let's definitely go with that. I'm just gonna pull up what okay. what actually happened. I during... should put a table of contents on that. I don't even know what's going on here. I took oh a lot of gosh. notes during that during the showcases, folks. Okay, so that's that's wholesome like, direct. Holy, Daddy sinkers. took a lot of notes. Daddy took a lot of notes. Okay, so the big takeaways from wholesome direct, outside of the exceptional work from the host and the exceptional work from the production team and ensuring that those trailers were cut really beautifully. The big takeaways for me is that we are living in the summer of horror. This horror was an enormous theme throughout, you know, all, the, the a lot of the, week, yeah. the entire week. Like it was, it was very, very focused on horror and we'll get there. But wholesome or Gorilla Collective had like a number of really, really interesting space horror games yes. specifically. Um, so there's, there was a, there was a lot of really interesting stuff going on there. Like mm -hmm. we saw, uh, we saw Ugly, which was a puzzle horror game from Graffiti Games. We saw Daymare 1994, which is very much so like, it, it felt very much like I was watching VHS. Mm -hmm. the, like if you're, if you're familiar with VHS as the, the found footage horror franchise, it felt like I was watching VHS, which was very cool. Signalis, which is an isometric horror game. Yeah. Um, Gravewood High, a multiplayer horror game. Madison, a first person horror game. Oh, that one looks creepy. That's the camera one. That's the camera one. That's good. That gives me big final or fatal, fatal frame, frame vibes. vibes. Yeah. Big that fatal or frame. that and Outlast, like those two games together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the fridge is red. Also oh, yeah. looks really interesting. And oh my goodness, how much more did we have? Well, I mean, that? and during Summer Games Fest, there was also probably our best look yet at Callisto Pro Protocol. That was really cool. Like Callisto Protocol is very much giving me those Dead Space vibes. And we know why. Yeah, because Glenn because, Schofield. Because Glenn is Dead Space Daddy. Yeah, him and Michael Condry were the founders of Visceral? Visceral, I, yeah. Yeah, it's Visceral. So... The gorilla did did a lot to be really excited about, and I feel like between the summer of horror, putting a focus on developers of color, mm -hmm. ensuring that we got some great looks at, you know, some interesting games that are really pushing, pushing their genres. Like Key Locker was one that was really pushing the genres. That was the cyberpunk, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, turn based action game. The demo is out right now. You know, we got to see we got to see a look at um, Ikone Island, mm -hmm. and Ikone is it like that's in early access right now. If you actually go onto Steam, you can request access. I just requested access and got it like yesterday. Oh, okay, so I'm going to be able to take a look at it. But the the other big thing that I loved about about Gorilla Collective was. Don't like the the big thing is that there just was not a sleeper among them. Yeah, it was a really well curated showcase. It was, and I felt connected to each of these each of these games and at each moment with throughout the showcase, I felt 
I felt like it was very purposeful the way that they structured it. So it wasn't just like a block of horror and a block of this and a block of that. They would just intersperse in what they thought was thematically interesting. Mm -hmm. So honestly, go back and watch the Gorilla Collective 3 if you want to better understand how to put together your game trailers. Absolutely. It was excellent. Now, moving on to Wholesome Games. This was a deluge of gorgeous, color-saturated palettes of non-violent and weirdly wholesome games. And I, honestly, I wept a few times, not going to lie to you. I get really excited about games like, uh, games that allow me to not, I don't, like, how do I say this? Like, games that don't require me to be violent, I guess? I guess that's a good way of looking at it. Um, so some of the big ones in this is we saw, we're, we're seeing a lot of very character and by character, I mean like animal driven yes. games like bears and breakfast or, uh, bed and, I think bear it's and breakfast. bear and breakfast, little bear chef, lumber Jack, um, Usagi Shima, which was like a, it was like a bunny collecting simulator. I mm-hmm. swear, I swear that they made it for Clara. They must've made it for Clara. Um, there was, but like, that's not the only thing that like, we're seeing more updates for Calico. Uh, there's, there's the fall of porcupine, which is a bird platformer. Love burb, which is basically mm-hmm. bird tinder. I mean. Frogun. Yeah. Princess farmer. Um, Ooblets. There was skate bird. Like very, very, very much so in this realm of inhabiting cute little wholesome creatures mm-hmm. and it was very interesting we're also seeing coffee talk uh episode two which is going to be really challenging because um fami is no longer with us yeah and that was really bittersweet i definitely teared up a little bit after seeing that because it was just like oh my goodness i can't believe that two's coming out episode two's coming out i wasn't sure if it was going to Um, And another thing that came out of Wholesome Direct is that we're seeing a lot more focus on cultivation, right? Yes. So cultivation and farming and life simulators. So we saw things um, like Garden Witch Life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like there's there was a couple of ones that were really focused on making potions. There were a few of them that were focused on, you know, again, like management sims like Baron Breakfast we're we're in this place and this is my big this is one of the takeaways that I wanted to talk about is that we're in this place where players need control because the rest of the world outside of their homes are very scary right now mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of control to be had so control there's control and horror there's a lot of control and horror where you get to control how afraid you are There's control in creating simulation and management games so that you can feel like you have some way of affecting change in virtual worlds. So I I loved the Wholesome Direct. I thought there were a ton of great games that are going to be coming out of this. We are OFK. Potion Permit, actually, I was playing uh, yesterday. I'm really, really enjoying it. Shim looks cool. That's like a little shadow friend who jumps from shadow to shadow. Shout out to Katori Academy. We actually have one of the developers hanging out in our Discord. Oh, cool. Which is very, very cool. So I'm I'm excited about Katori Academy. It looks really, really cute. Uh, a little to the left is great. It's a daily puzzle game. I've played it on stream. It's if you want innovation, indies have it. 
indies are always going to have it, and especially nonviolent indies that allow you to look at things a little bit differently, to explore the world in different capacities, because it forces you to not automatically resort to violence. You have to use your puzzle. You have to, you have to be puzzle-minded. So absolute kudos to the folks working who worked so hard on the Gorilla Collective 3 and 4. I guess it was 3.5 that was uh, that was on Monday. Yes. It we was, did not have a chance to watch that. It's no, been, I'm afraid we didn't. It's been a little bit busy. Yep. So 3.5 and that worked on the Wholesome Direct and that worked on uh, the Future of Play as well. The mm-hmm. Future of Play was done by, by Glitch. Right. And yeah, again, so the Future of Play is fantastic. And again, it gives you a really good understanding of what indies are doing exceptionally well and why everyone needs to be paying attention. Absolutely. All right. Um, Xbox Bethesda. I will, the big thing, the big takeaways from here, and, and again, this was a really good format. I really, it was Fantastic. probably. Fantastic. It was one of my the favorite. Strong, it, for me, I think it was the strongest of all of the shows. In terms of impact. In terms of impact. Yeah. yeah. And one of the reasons for that, and I predicted this before the show even began, was Game Pass was going to be central. Also, when I said that, I did not quite anticipate just how much they there were like 20 something games that they showed all of them releasing over the next 12 months it was a gameplay heavy show um this is something that microsoft has been criticized for in the in the past running a showcase that was largely concept trailers or in-engine trailers or just you know cinematic but this was all gameplay and it was all stuff coming over the over the next 12 months and with the exception of diablo 4 every single game that was mentioned, is coming to Game Pass. And I that's really important because in there was Hollow Knight Silk Song, which has been off the grid for a while and reemerged. A Plague Tale Requiem, which we now know is coming, I believe it's October 18th. Yes! Um, Overwatch 2 is free to play. That's going to be hitting, um, that is going to be hitting Xbox, but I think it's, it's going to be hitting everything. Um, Oxide Games is making a new turn-based strategy. That's the, um, oh crud. Now I forgot the name of the game they made. They made, uh... Do you want me to look it yeah, up? Yeah, look it up for me, please. I'm sorry. Um, we got the Hot Wheels DLC for Forza, Forza Horizon 5, which was, which was, uh, leaked. Scorn, which actually didn't show terribly well during the Xbox show, but showed well during the PC game show. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it looks really interesting. Um, my, a new Minecraft game. An action strategy game that looks a little bit like Overlord. Minecraft Legends. What was the name of that game? Ashes of the Singularity. Yeah, so it was Ashes of the Singularity. Yeah, was the other game they did. Um, We saw a bunch of As Dusk Falls, which looks really good. It's done, it looks like a cutscene style of Max Payne or Hotel Dusk, if you ever played that game on the DS. I mean, personally, I'm feeling it, and the fact that it made... It made headway at the Tribeca Film Festival as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it speaks volumes. Yes. I'm just trying to see, like, other stuff that's kind of jumping out at me. Uh, All the the last three Persona games, Persona 3 Portable, Persona 4 Golden, and Persona 5 Royal, all coming to Game Pass is huge. That's very big. Um, I've never played P3P before. I'm so excited for you to play P3P. That was my onboard into into the whole SMT world, and it was really solid. Um, and the show was bookended by Redfall at the beginning and Starfield at the end. I thought that was really strong. And uh, the big, the biggest announcement, and I'm in 
you know, no slag to any of these great games that were shown was the Riot announcement. Yeah. Uh, and for me, that this partnership with Riot, which covers League of Legends, if you are a Game Pass subscriber, you'll have access to literally every champion. You usually have to buy them individually. Uh, same thing for Wild Rift. For uh, Teamfight Tactics, you will get certain little legends unlocked. For uh, Runeterra, you're going to get the Foundation set unlocked for Game Pass. And for Valorant, all agents will be unlocked and XP, XP boosts with Game Pass, I think, for all of that. For me, what's interesting here is none of these are console titles. No. Right? There's no... Valorant's not on console yet. I don't think so. No, I yeah, think it's, it's PC. just PC. I think it's PC. I don't know. I can't play it. Because it's um, not cooperating with Windows 11. Because Vanguard, Riot Vanguard, is not cooperating with Windows 11. And I would very much like to play with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> so hit me up if you know how to fix that. So for me, this evolution of what Game Pass means and what Game Pass is by making these deals with Riot is very... Very interesting for me. I mean, Riot has other games that are coming as well that are outside, that are not the competitive games, that are more narrative-based. Yeah, there's one that actually came out really recently. Uh, um, right. The, the the narrative RPG. Right, yes. And yeah. then they have the one with um, Miss Fortune, I think is her name, the pirate one. Yeah, that That's one's coming, coming out. out. Yes. For sure. But again, we can't talk about Riot without talking about their labor issues. And we need to remind you all that... You know, make sure that you are paying attention to how things started, but also how things are changing. Yeah. And as far as we know, things have changed at Riot, but you can't really undo the harm that you did. Correct. Um, as for Diablo 4, I suspect that we are going I'm to... I'm so mad. Hopefully that game comes out after the acquisition and the Y'all, executive team at, at Activision Blizzard is ushered out the door. Because extremely fuck Bobby Kotick. Yeah, and we'll talk about that when we get to the labor report. But for real, Diablo 4 looks incredible. It does. It looks so good. And I when, would like to be able to play it, but when, I won't, won't spend any money with Activision Blizzard. Nope. Not, not until, until that executive team yep. is dissolved. Um, and things start changing at um, Activision Blizzard for the better for the workers. But for real, when Rod Ferguson came out, it was like the, you know, I don't know. It was like the godfather taking the stage, <laughs> it felt like. So... Rod Ferguson, the industry closer. Yes. Making games come to life, making stubborn games yep. come to life. Absolutely. So I'm hopeful that I, I expect that we'll see it on Game Pass after the acquisition, but I wonder if that was very tactical to not um, poke the regulatory bear. All right, before we do takeaways, I want to talk real quickly about Capcom's stuff and just a little bit about Square Enix's very focused Final Fantasy VII presentation just some of the takeaways away from that um capcom i thought was really strong i think that we obviously fun showcase it it was resident evil 4 and it was looking quick it was quick it was like 20 minutes sunbreak is out in a few days uh still no amiibo (laughs) pre-orders mike would like you to know that he wants his amiibo i do want my my palico and my palamute amiibos for sure Uh, i do have the for switch i have the collector's edition pre-ordered so it is coming with a malzino amiibo so, uh, for me, I, again, I think hitting the Resident Evil stuff, the upgrades for, for current gen, Resident Evil 4, another look at Reverse, and that's not coming out until October. Remember, that was included with Resident Evil 3 Remake. Yes, it was. So, so there's that. And uh, I, real quickly, obviously, they mentioned, oh, Dragon's Dogma, 10th anniversary, and then they did a very short uh, separate 
thing later, which was really interesting. It was a look back at how that ser- at how that game was made and kind of the journey of the, of the different creatives involved. And then, of course, at the end, announcing Dragon's Dogma 2, which surged sales of Dragon's Dogma, which is dirt cheap right now. In fact, I had a $5 credit from Xbox and it's under $5, so I just bought it for Xbox. And I've got it on Switch and I've got it on PC. And I'm trying Anywhere to f- else that you'd like to buy it? I think I might even have it on PlayStation. I guess what I'm saying is I'm just trying Play to Play Dragon's out, Dogma. If you've got a great pawn that I can add to my party, please hit me up, preferably on Discord, and let me know what your pawn's name is on what and what platform. I know Joe Juba has an amazing one on Switch that I that I grabbed. I'm, I'm assuming he has one on PC too, because between Joe Juba and Wout, like the two of them are There was collective shouting on Twitter. There was. So I, I think Capcom did a really good job, again, focusing on their core strengths, looking back at the remakes and remasters and reboots. Um, Exoprimal uh, is kind of their new game that eh, I'll give it a try, but I'm not sure I'm sold on it. Eh. But looking at what they're doing, um, the the Resident Evil Village stuff that they're doing, which you can now you're going to be able to play the whole game in third person. The new DLC is third person that uh, they're adding more mercenary stuff to that. That's really cool. And I'm just, I'm a big fan of what Capcom's been doing. I think that their approach has been really good. Uh, They do, they do embrace the three R's. They do. And they were one of the earliest ones too. They, they kind of realized like, oh, we have something here. We should really be, be leaning on our back catalog. And and they've been doing a great job. Back cat, man, it means everything. Street Fighter 6, I want to talk about for a quick second. Um, Not only does it look amazing, but they're embracing a, an, an onboarding for, fighting games in general and this series specifically like they've never done before. If you look at some of the Arc System Works games and uh, King of Fighters as well does this where you can have one button combos effectively and depending on how you how you finish the combo will determine and how much power meter you have will determine like what special like what super move you'll do. Yeah. So when I was playing with Vivi when she was learning how to play like she was able to actually pull off ults. Uh, or level three power moves that that ate the entire bar. (laughs) Would she have been able to do that on a joystick right out of the gate? No, she wouldn't have. So I'm really thrilled to see Street Fighter VI approach both their series with approachability and accessibility in mind. Yeah, I really think that that's important. I mean, when we talk about onboarding, it's not just from an accessibility perspective, but accessibility is everything because games are supposed to be for everyone. But it is approachability, because fighting games are technically very challenging. It's the same kind of thing that we see with racing simulators and really action-oriented, like deeply focused simulators in general. They are very Mm skill-based. And if you don't have the proper onboarding, you're going to lose new players without them even starting. Yeah, and another way to put this is when we we talk about games, when we talk about skill-based games, we talk about the skill floor and the skill ceiling. Absolutely. Right? The skill ceiling... And especially when you're talking about the fight, fighting games in general and that genre has a very high skill ceiling. The more you practice, the more you learn, the more you perfect your technique, the the higher you can go. There is there is almost infinite amount of room to grow your skill in that series. Now, when we talk about the skill floor, we're talking about the minimum you need to be able to know and do technically with your hands, your agility, your your dexterity. Your dexterity, yeah. To be able to participate in the game. And this is what they're doing here and what Arc System Works and what 
uh, King of Fighters has done in the past, which is that's SNK. That's SNK, yeah. Which has its own problems, as, as we've talked about over and over again. You lower that skill floor and suddenly your market increases and suddenly you have more people who have always wanted to participate in a game or a genre feeling comfortable. And the fact that Street Fighter, which is probably the most recognizable fighting game on the market, is finally doing this is enormous. And I believe they also said it's going to have rollback, which Ryan Seguin would be the person to talk about uh, why that's important. But top level, it's something that wasn't developed in Japan, and J- and Japanese fighting game developers were a little slow to to adopt it because they because they weren't comfortable with it. They weren't um, they weren't willing to to integrate that. But we're seeing more and more Japanese fighting games integrate rollback, which improves the online experience. But Ryan again could talk about that for hours and do it way more much detail. more competently than we yes, can yes absolutely but right. this is this really is about widening the addressable market mm-hmm. and this is the analog here is elden ring yeah. right if we if yeah. we think about yeah. it because for me especially i'm not a fighting game player i played a lot of mortal Kombat in my younger years but i'm you know i'm not a i'm not young anymore in that sense but for me i i didn't ever want to get into souls like games because they just seemed too daunting but because of the way that Elden Ring structured its gameplay, structured its onboarding, just had a much more friendly and approachable way of, of playing the game, you know, I was able to find a bit more purchase a bit earlier in the experience versus earlier titles. We're seeing that now with Street Fighter VI as well, is that by allowing players to simply to meet players where they are is one of the most powerful things that you can do as a developer. Absolutely. So that's everything for Capcom. Real quickly on Final Fantasy uh, and Square Enix. It was really focused on Final Fantasy VII. The big things here, part two of the Final Fantasy remake, now trilogy, was originally supposed to be at two parts, I believe. Now it's a trilogy. It's called Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Uh, They are going to be taking more story liberties. The team said that you can actually come in and play this game without having played remake, which I think is wild to me. Given... The fact that they're taking a story that was told in, in one complete game and breaking it out into now three games. Uh, big news, in in my opinion, they're doing a Crisis Core. It's not a remake. It is a remaster. So that was originally a PSP game that is coming to consoles and PC. Uh, I'm very excited about that. I thought Crisis Core was fantastic. And it was I thought a great it, game. it really made the most of the PSP hardware. I agree. So that huge, was my first huge, handheld, actually, was the PlayStation Portable. I love that. I do. Uh, because it, it gave great. birth to the eight- Vita. And- I was 18 when it came out. Oh, no. <laughs> I love making him feel oh, old. I'm so old. I love making him feel old. So, okay, let's let's jump right into the takeaways. Now, Mike surfaced this for me a few days ago, and I want to talk about fast follow. Let's so, Mike, walk me through what a fast follow is and why is it important. Sure. So, when we talk about fast follows, that is a wide umbrella that covers a lot of different things. On one hand, there's the unethical type of fast follow. That's your game clones. So if I came out, so it's the ones Those where- Those are voodoo games? Voodoo, yeah. <laughs> Voodoo.io we're talking about. So if you're talking about a game that just, so Candy Crush, if I, if, if when Candy Crush came out, if I wanted to make a match three that had candy-like aesthetic and I wanted to kind of capitalize on it, I could call it Candy Crash. 
Sure. Right? That would be an unethical fast follow where it doesn't innovate. It doesn't change anything. It's crappier, usually crappier graphics. Buggy as hell. But a good fast follow is Cookie Jam from Jam City. Mm-hmm. Which is, which came out after Candy Crush. Yep. Innovated on the match three, has its own systems, the its own language, and is actually a really great little standalone game on its own. Yep. And I'm trying to think, oh, crud, it's uh, 20 hours until dawn. Is that what it's called? 20. I don't know until if it's. Until dawn. I think it's 20, 20 minutes. minutes. 20 minutes until dawn is the name of the game. So. This was, so I, I mentioned earlier, Simon Parkin and Chris Sikowski both actually mentioned the whole concept of fast follows in their most recent newsletters. And they were talking about 20 Minutes Till Dawn, which looks very similar to Vampire Survivors. Now, there's a difference, though, in that Vampire Survivors has kind of like an auto-fire type thing, yep. and 20 Minutes Till Dawn has a uh, more active and more direct control scheme. Yep. So when you're talking about a fast follow, you're talking about a game that comes out shortly thereafter or is inspired by, or really you can very obviously see that connection. Um, it needs to innovate. In order to be ethical, it needs to innovate. It needs to stand out on its own. You might see something like, so Loop Hero and Loot River, right? You look at the two of them. It's like, oh, aesthetically, they look pretty similar. Obviously, Loop Hero, or Loop Hero and Loot River. Just, I don't know if I screwed that up. The enunciation was a little bit borked there. Huh? Yes. So obviously, like, they look a little bit, they look significantly different in terms of their gameplay. Obviously, you're walking around in a, in a, randomly generated loop and then placing the buildings in, in loop here on loot river you're moving from uh, like little island to little island but again you have that kind of thing it's like they're they're different enough they've in like loot river innovated enough and honestly it's still i, I from what i understand loot river still has a little ways to go yep. before it's considered yep. to be as critically acclaimed as loop hero because what loop hero did for you know, the idle game genre. It, mm -hmm. it, it, it can't be understated. Right. So, and then of course they released their own truly idle game based on Loop, uh, Loop Hero. Yes. So the reason why we're bringing it up is because obviously we're seeing a huge number of farming games that have kind of generated out of the Stardew craze. And it's not just the Stardew craze. No, Stardew we're didn't also, start it, obviously. We're also talking about like what, what reinvigorated us with Animal Crossing, with Story of Seasons. Sure. You know, um, Rune Factory with Rune Factory Five coming out and everything like that. And listen, Rune Factory Five is it, Rune Factory as a series is not quite the same thing. But farming simulators and what I was talking about earlier in terms of my personal takeaways from Guerrilla Collective and Wholesome Direct is that players are looking for more control. Mm -hmm. They need more control, and part of that is going out into the world. And maybe you aren't very good at I don't know farming, or you aren't very good at taking care of plants in real life, although I'm getting better. Mm -hmm. I'm get, I have an I have an herb garden now. Yeah. That's that's true. pretty impressive. Potion craft and all that. Yes, but like in our kitchen yes. where I put fresh basil on things. I did, yes, that was good. Which we did last night. Yes. But this is this is where we're coming from, right? I mean, we, we can look at this in terms of what players are really looking for out of these genres. And because there is such a hunger, there's a hunger for control, there's a hunger to grow things, there's a hunger to make things. You know, we have a lot of these different kinds of experiences that touch on different thematic elements that bring in different kinds of players. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So just some quick rules. If you're a developer who's listening to this and you're like, oh, I would, I, I would love to make a game like Vampire Survivors. 
And I have an idea for how to do that. And instead of vampires, it's mummies or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. Whatever your idea is, there's just some, some general rules to stay on the ethical side of things. Because the last thing you want is to get dragged through the media for being a cheap knockoff like that Wordle guy tried to do. And you want to talk about fast follows, there is an unethical... That was extremely unethical. Yeah, extremely unethical fast follow type thing. Where he tried to push an app called Wordle that that used the same asset. It was just, it was just, it was legitimately just a copy. Yeah, it was just a clone. So don't ape the name too closely. Don't be a shitty mobile clone. Is what we're saying. Don't, don't, Uh, don't steal assets ever, and don't buy the same assets that the original used because that's also unethical. It is. It is. You're you're recreate. You're essentially just recreating somebody's original idea and mm-hmm. not doing anything. And that's the last piece. Innovate. Do something different. So every morning I play Wordle, and I play Quirtle, and I play Octortle, and I play Sedecortle. And listen, Mike really likes his word games. I do, but I will tell you that after months and months and months of playing all those games, Wordle and Quirtle are two different animals because of the way you have to approach them. And Quirtle and, and it's the same person who's done Octortle and Sedecortle and done others, where, where Octortle and Sedecortle are effectively the same experience because they're done by the same person. Uh, but when you, but Quirtle feels very different than both Wordle and the higher count games. It's, it's just really interesting to me how I've seen that. So do something different. Absolutely. So those are those are kind of the general rules of fast follows. Definitely subscribe to Chris Sikowski's, uh How to Market Your Game newsletter and Simon Parkin's Game Discover Co. newsletter. Both of them are are free. I think they have paid versions as well. But uh, lots of really good learnings from there. So what else did we what else did we take away from uh, the not E three mess? Summer of Horror. Ah, uh, yes. So the Summer of Horror means that, again, we're coming right back to control because people need to control their terror levels. We cannot control our terror levels outside of our homes right now. Mm-hmm. Everything is very scary. So by creating safe spaces for people to explore their fears, to process their fears, you know, that's why we've ended up with this Summer of Horror. And it's not just horror in terms of, you know, blood and gore. There are a number of different titles that are going to be exploring horror from a psychological perspective, from a thematic perspective, and also digging into our roots from especially the PlayStation 2 era of horror games, which honestly, to me, was the golden age of horror. Yeah, absolutely. Also, PS1 graphics are now retro, and that makes me turn to dust. Um, (laughs) All right. So uh, you have a note here about Gorilla Collective and Wholesome Direct. So another big takeaway, just to really, really hit this home, keep an eye on Gorilla Collective and Wholesome Direct for how to cut your trailers and ensure that however and whatever that you're showing, that you are always communicating the most important elements of your game, not just the hook, but why people should play it. And what it is. The I mean, what it is is the big one. If I finish your trailer and I have no freaking clue what your game is, your trailer has failed. You have wasted your money. Hook me in with an interesting conceit. Mm-hmm. Tell me what the game is and then tell me why I should play it. Show me why I should play it. And that is done through gameplay. Yes. So keep an eye on how to do that by watching the Gorilla Collective and Wholesome Direct trailers. Yep. And the last thing we have here, Microsoft succeeded in its showcase where it hasn't in the past because gameplay gameplay was gameplay was center and also they were very clear we are focusing on the next 12 months these are games that you will be able to play by the next time we gather for this showcase 
every single game you're going to see is supposed to have been out. Now, right. delays happen, but... They do, because it's a miracle that any game gets released or That's shipped true. at all. So the other thing to keep in mind with that is that we can actually take a look at how Bethesda has had a significant amount of influence on how Microsoft presents its titles. Bethesda has always found a ton of success in very short lead times and ensuring that players know what they're in for, for the most part. Absolutely. All right, so that was about an hour. <laughs> this is our might have been one of our longest conversations ever about a single topic. So I don't know. What? I don't. I don't know. We've had some pretty long conversations. Okay, this is up there. But also, this is this is disseminating a week of information. It is. It is. So a week because we've been so busy, normally we'd have, we would have done this as a special episode. Yes. Right? All right. So that's everything about the summer game fest and all of the other ancillary type things. Uh, we have a very brief investment interlude. We've got one story today. One whole story. 505 Games parent Digital Bros has announced the acquisition of Puzzle Quest publisher D3Go. The deal is worth $1.5 million on a debt and cash-free basis. Now, as a reminder, what that means is that 505 Games, uh, or their parent Digital Bros, will get the company. They will not assume any of the debt that that company might have, and they also won't get any of its cash reserves. Those will go to its previous owner, which we'll talk about in a second. Indeed. An additional earnout of $3.5 million based on operating mar margins will be potentially available over the next five years. Yep. So D3Go is based in Encino, California. They've got a staff of eight. They are very small. You might be wondering, okay, but Puzzle Quest was enormous. and they, Puzzle they... Quest was so good. Right. Uh, so And Gems of War. And Gems of War. So D3 Publisher which was the previous parent, was owned by Bandai, Nam Bandai Namco, which I did oh. not know. Oh, that's that's yeah. new and different. So Digital Bros uh, purchased Puzzle Quest and Gems of War developer Infinity Plus 2 in January, which we did cover. In we January did. 2021, rather. We did. Which gave it the IP rights to the Puzzle Quest series and spinoffs. And that deal was worth $4.5 versus the $1.5 that this was worth. And I don't remember if that was $4.5 up front or $4.5 inclusive of any potential earnout. Right. So... So yeah, that's uh, a lot of money to invest in a series. Unfortunately, I don't think that Puzzle Quest 3 performed terribly well. I think the problem is that once the... <sighs> Puzzle Quest is weird. Like, it's a great series. It's got a ton of... Le it's, got a, it's, it's got a ton to love, rather. But if I'm going to play a Puzzle Quest game, I'm going to play Gems of War. Yeah. Because well, Gems of War own, is, so. is great. It yeah. genuinely is a fantastic... Um, it's a fantastic mobile game, so... There we go. And with all that, it's time for a break. Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative. And along with pro bono business consulting for up and coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. And we are back. Hey, Mike, what time is it? It's time for quick hits. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, I love oh how my. you hit the quick hits. Why, thank you. I'm going to hit the quick hits right now. Axios shed a little light on two games that were recently in the news. One uh, is now out. That's Supermassive Games The Quarry, which I was published it. by 2K. I, I want you it. Do. Uh, the other was actually in the Xbox showcase coming to Game Pass day one. <laughs> it looks ridiculous. It looks so Squanch Games' upcoming game High on Life, which looks like a, a humorous take on uh, Oddworld Stranger's Wrath, which is, in my opinion, the best of the Oddworld games. 
Uh, both games were apparently originally intended as Stadia exclusives. Of course, the Stadia Death Spiral started with the end of first-party development and has now clearly bled to the abandonment of those exclusives. Stadia has, of course, been on life support, and it seems like we're nearing the, quote, last gasp moment before it hits the Google graveyard. Uh, will it ever fully hit the Google graveyard because they're going to leverage the technology? Probably not. No, yeah, well, because Stadia itself as a brand is going to go away. Yeah, Stadia will go away, but the technology underpinning it will not. So it'll have, like, one zombie arm sticking out of the graveyard, like, don't forget me, you're still using me. <laughs> yeah, that part, dear. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. I know. But I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. Just a big thumbs up out of the grave. You did it! <laughs> At least you, <laughs> you tried. tried. Yeah. There was an effort that was made. Oh, Phil Harrison, you cluster truck. Indeed. All right, moving right along. Discord has announced that it will implement a very Twitch-style auto-mod for servers. Mods and admins will be able to set up a list of keywords, including keyword filters, that are banned in said server, which means that content will be moderated even before messages are shown to anyone else. And honestly, thank goodness. Community management is hard enough without dealing with hate speech. So just to go into some of the filters real quick, these include insults and slurs so that you can protect members of your community from personally insulting material targeted at them, including terms that may be considered slurs or hate speech, sexual content, keep sexually explicit language out of your server to keep your community family friendly. It's not just about keeping it family friendly. Just to be clear, there are people out there that are just, I don't know, really uncomfortable with sexually explicit language and content in their servers, yes. period. Um, and severe profanity. Block the most egregious forms of profanity while still allowing for mild forms of cursing and swearing. Yeah, I'm. I am interested in we'll pen see. testing that uh, auto mod we'll feature. See. We'll see how it works. Mike yeah. and I might toy with it on the F squared server, which we'll see. Yes, we'll see. It might. It might just end up not quite working the way we intend. So, yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine it with the profanity filter, with all the swearing we do sometimes? Uh, I don't usually do it in Discord, though. Oh, I guess that's fair. I'm usually better behaved in Discord than I am in real life. Our children would agree. Yes. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Moving on from, from that fact of my life. Epic has released a new tool to help ensure that PC games are cross-playable between EGS and Steam. Epic says that this plug-and-play tool is starting with PC, important note. Very the new tool is part of the Epic Online Services package, and the intent is to support additional PC storefronts as well as Mac and Linux in the future. So that could be GOG, for instance. Sure. Uh, or uh, I don't know if there are any um, multiplayer games on the Humble Launcher. That's I'm not sure, one. actually. Uh, let's Might see. be good for Itch, though. Yes. Uh, console and mobile are on the roadmap, too. Interesting. Which is really great. Uh, Crossplay tool puts all of your friends into one overlay, integrates game and friend invites, and allows players to easily link their accounts. I love this. Yeah. I think it's great. And I, I think it's very consumer-friendly. It's all free part of their free suite, right? They're not, as far as I know. Yeah. They, got that for, they got that Fortnite money. They got that Fortnite money. Backerkit, a popular pledge manager used by Kickstarter project managers, is taking aim at Kickstarter directly. The company, which recently hired Kickstarter director of games and friends of a friend of ours, yes. Anya Combs, has launched crowdfunding on its own platform. And so, Mike, you made a note about GameFound here. I've actually yeah. never used it. We well, we have used it. Okay. I mean me personally, okay. not me as the household. So GameFound originally, <laughs> I believe, started as just a, one of the many pledge managers. Okay. So if you've never backed a, a, a project on Kickstarter, let me explain how this works. Now, for very simple projects, 
Kickstarter can collect all the information that a pledge ma- at a project manager needs. If there's one tier, for instance, it's just a matter of delivering whatever it is. Sure. When you have complicated projects, and most board game projects are very complicated because there's a variety of add-ons. There are so, for instance, you might back the base game, but you might have also thrown in money because you want some of the add-ons, so expansions, play mats, dice, all of that stuff. So th- there are more robust pledge managers out there that allow that convert your Kickstarter pledge into credit, essentially. Okay. It knows what pledge tier you had. It pu- pushes you towards that pledge tier and then says, all right, you backed at $100. And that did not include shipping. So especially right now, because shipping from, from overseas for board games is extremely expensive, you'll have to pay a little bit more. Um, also, if you didn't back any of these expansions or add-ons during the campaign, you can add them to your cart now and check out. Yeah, Backer and, Kit's super yes, cool. Yes, and then you can go back and all of my pledges. So if I log into Black Backer Kit, I can see every pledge that I've ever managed had managed through Backer Kit. It's really great. GameFound started as a pledge manager, and they have also started doing some crowdfunding. The Skyrim board game that Modiphius is doing that we backed is through backer kit, the unmatched uh, storage system that just closed uh, that we just, that we backed because we, we love unmatched um, is through backer kit or through game found rather. Okay. Uh, the blaze ball, uh, or blase ball, however you print it. Is it I blase? Have, I have I don't literally know. no idea. I need someone to explain it to me at Ka- some point. Kawa can explain it. Kawa can probably explain it. To um, me, yeah. So they did a, a a card game for that that was relatively inexpensive. We backed that through. through because game of found. course we did. Because it looks it it's a it's a cultural relic. We have to have it. Right. But also for me, I love having small portable card games that are that are really good. Soul Forges, I believe, coming today. That's another card game. Um, that's anyway. Okay. So anyway, I'm getting we... on a tangent. Stop me. Okay, I'm stopping Stop you. Me. So anyway, back. Backer Kit kicked off this offering with a massive roster of upcoming projects, including the next project from Gloomhaven developer uh, Cephalofair, Restoration Games, Monty Cook Games, Later Games, Greater Than Games, and many more. But the best part of this is that none of Kickstarter's blockchain bullshit will be part of it. Hooray! Right. So Cephalofair was a huge one. Now, it's not a big project. If you're not familiar with Cephalofair, they are behind... That's Gloomhaven, Gloomhaven, but also Frosthaven. Um, and... It's enormous, right? Like these are huge games. Our our partner James is an enormous Gloomhaven fan and plays it digitally, but we also have all of the physical stuff. It's just that it's kind of cumbersome. It to is play. an extremely cumbersome game to play uh, and to get onto the table. Uh, I have not yet purchased the digital version. I am tempted to do that during the Steam sale. I have one hundred and sixty dollars worth of games currently in my in my car. I don't know if I'm gonna buy them all, but all the corpse, <laughs> you seen the look. I all the them. corpse party games. <laughs> Are are on sale and those I've never are like those. oh my god butter okay. my pooper that's a line from the game not because I'm actually telling her to butter my pooper okay well that's, uh, if that's you're listening really... and you want to make me a t-shirt that says butter my pooper I would wear it he would but not around our children not around our children um, so that's a huge one restoration games is behind Return to Dark Tower mm-hmm. and there's a new expansion for Return to Dark Tower that is going to be yeah I, I know, know. I so know. he's gonna he's gonna keep getting onto these later games is root and. Uh, Arcs, which yep. just closed on Kickstarter. Monty Cook Games is tabletop RPGs. Yep. And Greater Than Games makes Sentinels of the Multiverse, yep. among other games. So this is this is kind of huge. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of Backer Kit. It, it is a very easy tool to use as a backer. I've heard very good things from project managers. The fact that they are getting into crowdfunding directly, whether or not this was something that was 
uh, the genesis of which was from Kickstarter's very ill-conceived push into blockchain or something they had wanted to do in the past because mm-hmm. GameFound had had done this before the block the blockchain stuff. Uh, it's a smart move and more competition in that space and more choice for drives innovation. It does absolutely. So I'm very excited that not only have they launched this, but they launched with an enormous roster of game of board game developers that are raring to go here. I'm sure that we have the wonderful and amazing Anya Combs to thank for that. I have no doubt that she has played an important role here. Absolutely. Her expertise. She she is when it comes to the intersection of crowdfunding and tabletop and well and video games, but but especially tabletop, she is the person. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. Yes. We love Anya. All right. Uh, Yves Guimau has handed back some of his compensation as Ubisoft's financial performance has continued to flag in the wake of weaker releases and a workplace harassment scandal that has rocked the company for literal years now. Guimau is giving up 310,000 euro, uh, approximately $327,000 of his pay, which amounts to about a third of his annual pay. Uh, And of course, we know that equity compensation uh, doesn't mean as much as it did six months ago, a year ago, because nope. the market is in free fall right now and stocks are, the markets between inflation and just what's going on. A recession is incoming. It, yeah, it's, it, it ain't pretty. No, it's definitely not pretty. Uh, but you know what? I'm actually kind of excited to talk I about though. I am very excited to talk about this. I really want to talk about DX Gameworks, which is Brazil's very first game publisher. Yes. So the company is standing out not just due to this, though. It's also because they have a no recoup policy. So let's go into that just a little bit. Quote, our no recoup policy means that whatever we invest in the game won't get taken from the revenue share of the game. We share the development, we share the passion, and we commit to making the dream a shared reality. Later on the submission page, no recoup policy. We are in this together, so whatever we invest, whatever services we provide is all on us, the publisher, and we won't recoup anything. We split the risks and the royalties. Okay, quick lesson time. If you are hearing the word recoup and you aren't sure why a no recoup policy is such a big deal, the way the way game publishing deals are typically structured is you are given as a developer an advance, effectively. Yeah. It's like uh, getting a book advance. It is. And it is an advance for the entire cost or most of the cost of your development. So when you're pitching to a developer, you have your deck, you've got your build, you have uh, some top-level budget slides, and then you have your in-depth budget that once the conversation continues, you're presenting to them your in-depth budget. You work on that together. You work on the milestones together when those payments are going to happen. And again, different publishers have, you know, approach the milestone conversation very differently. You go through the development process, your game launches, and... As soon as money starts coming in from platform holders and storefronts, so that's your eShop, that's your Xbox Marketplace, that's your PlayStation Store, that's Steam, that's EGS, when that starts happening, uh, 100% recoup means that your split, let's say it's a 50-50 split, so you make the game makes $100,000, let's say... 20% comes off the top average to cross all storefronts, so that's $80,000. You would normally get $40,000, and the publisher would normally get $40,000. At 100% recoup, that means that your $40,000 isn't actually coming to you. It's going to the publisher to pay back that development advance. And it's not just your development costs. It's your development costs. It's your costs of attending a show, so your flights, your hotel, your per diem, meals, all of that stuff. Uh, all of the marketing spend. So if there's any advertising, any full page wraps on enthusiast sites, that, those sort of things. All quality those, assurance. Quality assurance, loc, all of that stuff goes against 
your is, is all expenses that are part of your project. Now, there are some publishers that don't do 100% recoup. They might do a 70% recoup. So they take 70% of your 40,000 in that scenario that that I meant and they put that against what you uh, what you owe them and then you still get a little bit of money, which is important because you still need to pay people. And that's a whole budgeting conversation that we talk about with our clients. As yeah. Well. Uh, especially our pre-funding clients. So a no recoup policy is wild to me because you've got a publisher who is spending, let's say they're, they're signing a game at a, at 300,000 us. That's 300,000 us. They're putting against the game that they do not expect to get paid back. Now there is a way to deal with that though. And I'm curious cause I have not seen their contract is what are their revenue splits? That now, is my big question. So if, if, Things are 50 50 is now baseline. Remember, it wasn't always. It used to be, and it might still be in this case because this is the way you account for it. You say, all right, well, we're not going to take a recoup, but you get 25% and we get 75% of all, rev- of all revenue so that they're making their money back on a larger percentage of the revenue. So over time, if they sign a hit, they could be making enormous amounts of money that, that way outstrip whatever they spent on the development costs. Sure. So I, without seeing the contract and understanding the rest of the terms, no recoup sounds great. But is it necessarily awesome? I don't know. We can't make that determination. I'm definitely interested. So if you happen to be in Brazil and you're listening to this and can get a handle on more specifics around the terms, I would love to hear. I would absolutely love to hear. Me too, quite yes. frankly. So uh, they're also they're not just doing uh, full publishing. They also have porting services, project management, marketing and PR, localization. Uh, so I'm very excited. Brazil has such a thriving and vibrant, underserved uh, development scene. Yeah. So this is really wonderful. Some amazing indie companies and developers living in Brazil that tend to just kind of go forgotten unless you are paying close attention, like. Like Mike and I tend to, because yes. we have we we have lots of really um, amazing contacts in Brazil of people that are doing amazing things, mm-hmm. and I hope to see them one day see the light of day. Absolutely. And those were quick hits. All right, and now we are on to the labor report. Remember last week when we were talking? Was it last week? It was last. It was the last episode. episode. So, so it was like two week. weeks ago, week and a half ago. I don't know. Time is. Challenging. Broken, time's a broken circle. Time is like a a pizza that got flipped upside down and all the toppings are stuck to the top of the box. Sounds like sounds like Murphy's Law. So they always fall butter side down. Oh, I thought you meant like a guy named Murphy making pizza because I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I've ever had an Irish pizza. I don't know what to do with anything that you just said. So we're going to move right along <laughs> to the labor report. So a couple of weeks so a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this, we were talking about Microsoft mm-hmm. releasing a statement about recognizing the existing unions 
at Activision Blizzard. Right. It was um, it was a statement that I think went like 80 to 90% of the way there. It did. Right? So what's new with this? Because we have an update to this story. We do. The Communications Workers of America, under which Raven's Game Workers Alliance is organized, mm-hmm. has announced a labor neutrality agreement with Microsoft. Now, this is actually huge. It's enormous. But for those that don't really under, that might not understand labor neutrality and what this means, walk us through this. Essentially, what it means is that Microsoft isn't going to really take a position on it other than you have your right to choose. That means they're not going to engage in union-busting activities or anti-union activities. They're not going to take a anti-union stance. But or, they're also not saying that they're pro-union. Right, but at the same time, it, it feels like... But they're not, not pro-union. Right, so, so here's, here's what happened. Okay. Uh, they issued this joint statement... Okay. And it put a lot of a lot more weight behind that blog post. I would say this gets them to like maybe ninety five to ninety nine percent because I'm I'm wary of everything. I'm wary of anybody in power right now on this day. I wonder why. I wonder why. So the neutrality agreement will go into effect sixty days after Microsoft closes its acquisition of Activision Blizzard. That is expected to close by mid twenty twenty three. If it does pass regulatory scrutiny, which, that's the big if. Which it might not. Right. So Microsoft president and vice chair Brad Smith was the one who that blog post was attributed right. to. And here is what he had to say in this joint statement. Quote, earlier this month, we announced a set of principles that will guide our approach to labor organizations. And the Activision Blizzard acquisition is our first opportunity to put these principles into practice. We appreciate CWA's collaboration in reaching this agreement. And we see today's partnership as an avenue to innovate and grow together. Now, the agreement includes five Key provisions. So the first provision is Microsoft will take a neutral approach when employees express interest in joining a union, which, as Mike said, means that they will not actively union bust. So one of the things that happened when Raven was was working on unionizing is, my, is Activision said, you don't really need to unionize. We're always going to listen to you. So those are the kinds of things. That's union busting activity. It that is. is trying to dissuade your employees from taking advantage of their legally protected, for now, I suppose, because everything is for now, their their legal protections to organized labor. Covered employees will be able to easily exercise their right to communicate about unionization. This is another one if you have been watching the Amazon warehouse unionization. And I Where have. there has been a lot of worry about communication if people communicate about it are they going to be targeted by corporate this has happened with starbucks as well yep big time employees will have access to a streamlined process for choosing whether to join a union so the way i interpret this the what this says to me is that you just will need to fill out your union card they're not going to force an nlrb vote right and that is, I believe I saw CWA backing that up. If I'm wrong about that and you're, and you're listening to this, please do correct me. But my interpretation is that's the streamlined process. Yeah. If more than 50% of employees fill out their union cards, that's they, they will recognize the union at that point. Voluntarily. Voluntarily. Employees can keep their choice regarding unions private. Again, another huge thing because of what we've seen at Starbucks and Amazon where corporate has been targeting people who are vocally pro-union. And removing them from place, from positions of power. Exactly. Or removing them from the company entirely. Because in this country, 
everything's at will. Absolutely. And you can effectively lie about why you're, why you're terminating somebody. You or not give a reason at all. You can't do that in other countries. And then here's the big one. If there's a disagreement between the Communications Workers of America and Microsoft, the two orgs will work together to reach an agreement. And if they can't, there's going to be an expedited arbitration process. So if you've, if you've never been through an arbitration process, I actually have, believe it or not. I have um, by proxy. Uh, yeah, so arbitration, uh, I, it was not a professional thing. It was a personal thing with um, my grandparents' estate. That was ugly, though. It was very ugly. But in arbitration, the the arbitration part wasn't ugly. The arbitration part is you sit in one room with your lawyer, and they sit in their room with another lawyer, and the judge goes back and forth and tries to negotiate. Now, it may be different for collective bargaining or in this type of scenario where everybody is at the table and you have a neutral third party. Uh, Typically, arbitrators, professional arbitrators, are former judges. Yeah. So they understand the law extremely well, although... Again, got to caveat everything. Usually you would think that that former judges understand the law, but given the number of unqualified judges that are sitting on the bench right now, who knows what that's going to look like down the road. I'm sorry, I'm I'm you might have noticed a slight tone shift during this episode as we have had to record this in chunks. I am currently digesting and processing not successfully uh all of the terrible things that have happened this week uh at, in the Supreme Court. Uh, culminating in the overturning of Roe v. Wade 50 years later. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that before we close. So if you if you notice a slight change in my demeanor throughout this episode, uh, there's a little peek behind the scenes. Um, also out of Activision, uh, the shareholders are continuing to mess it up. There's no big surprise there. Nope. The company last week absolved the Activision board and executive leadership of any wrongdoing related to gender discrimination, saying, quote, There is no evidence to suggest that Activision Blizzard senior executives ever intentionally ignored or attempted to downplay the instances of gender harassment that occurred and were reported. That work also has not unearthed any evidence, directly or indirectly, suggesting any attempt by any senior executive or employee to conceal the information from the board. Yeah, so, you know, this this is what happens when we let corporations investigate themselves. Yeah, so this investigation was conducted by a company called... Uh, um, Let me, checks notes. Uh, Activision Blizzard. I've never, uh, I've yeah, never heard of it. If that name sounds familiar, it's because the investigating company uh, strangely has the exact same name as the company being investigated. That is so very strange. I wonder, like, I like just based on pure coincidence, like, they had to have had some internal questions about, like, how do we remain impartial? No, they, they didn't, because... Uh, here's the thing. We know due to reports that Bobby Kotick shielded key people. No, I was, this I is, was being super oh, sarcastic. Oh, I know. I was just, 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 You're just I was using you as a bounce pad. Oh, uh, please yeah, like, don't do that. Okay. I, I was leapfrogging. I was, um, I was rising high upon your shoulders. Duck, duck, goosing. I was duck, duck, goosing you. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> sorry, I broke. I up. have so many curse words in my body right now. So the timing of this is also not at all coincidental, as Activision Blizzard this week held its annual meeting at which executive compensation packages were approved by 88% of shareholders. 88%. How many times have we talked about say on pay? Well, and here's the thing. I don't think Activision shareholders... Now, just remember, first of all, who owns the majority of Activision shares? Oh, 
Yeah, Bobby Kotick and his cronies voting for Bobby Kotick and his cronies to get paid. <gasps> Shocking. Truly shocking. More bullshit. Share- shareholders also voted down a proposal for an employee representative to be to be seated on the board. Only 5% of shareholders voted in favor. Yep. Bobby Ding Dong did get to keep his board seat, though, because, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. I, I mean, part of me feels like people, they just don't give a shit right yeah. now because there's this assumption like, well, it's not going to matter anyway who's on the board because the board's getting dissolved once the Microsoft acquisition goes through. And on the other hand... You could have also done something right. I mean, you you could have chosen the right thing. Yeah, shareholders did one, and I and I do mean this only one correct thing in this vote against the wishes of the board. They voted to require Activision Blizzard. Okay, I gotta rephrase it. They voted to recommend that Activision Blizzard produce a report on the firm's efforts to stop discrimination and harassment. It was a recommendation. We'll get there. Okay, and share our compensation data. The number uh, the number of sexual harassment share out. Compensate not our compensation data. <laughs> Share out compensation data. The number of sexual harassment settlements and total complaints in process, and how the company is faring with regard to resolving abuse and harassment issues. I wonder why the board didn't want this measure to pass. Huh. But just like say on pay, it's a non-binding vote. So we'll see what the Activision board does. I think they would be very <laughs> foolish because I think this one passed pretty overwhelmingly. Yeah. Yeah does kind of seem that way. Yeah. Can we stop talking about Activision Blizzard for like... I, I would like to stop talking about them forever. I hope to God that branding dies when the acquisition happens. I don't think it will, but that but the whole Activision brand is tainted. The Blizzard brand is tainted. Yeah, it's gross. Can we talk about something else? Yes. Awesome. Let's move on with the rest of our labor report. By contrast, and listen, we hold all companies accountable on this show... It seems that EA is moving in the right direction. I don't know if you remember this or if you're brand new. And if you are brand new, you probably don't remember this. But last year, we were discussing EA shareholders and their disapproval of executive compensation via a non-binding but mandatory say on pay vote. So according to a new SEC filing, CEO Andrew Wilson saw a reduction in compensation of about $20 million. Most of that was an $18 million stock grant. Now, remember, it is important to remember that equity compensation is a moving target and the market is kind of in the pits right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wilson also received a 3.2% raise, bringing his cash compensation to $1.3 million per year, not inclusive of other benefits and perks. Yeah. Um, EA, it is moving in the right direction. It is moving in the right direction. And CEOs should stop, like in general, CEOs mm -hmm. have no business being paid at nearly as much as what they are paid. Right. And as you will recall, while this is connected to labor and not collected, connected to labor, I threw it in quick hits. I probably should have thrown it in labor. Uh, earlier in the show, we talked about Yves Guimau, uh losing about 30% of his pay, giving that back. Because That's where of... it needs to start. It needs to start at the top. If yep. there are any pay cuts that need to happen, it has to start in the C-suite. Yep, Absolutely. Uh, all right, so that's the labor report. We're going to run down NPD for May 2022. Who boy. Now, it's actually not that bad. I mean, hold on. It's okay, not that it, long, but the, the results are... Not that great. Yabba dabba, yikes. Um, that whistling sound you heard last month was the game industry coming back down to earth. I am so glad you did that. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> My dad used to have on his desk one of those noisemakers... Like that you apparently were like supposed to mount on your dashboard, flip the switch and press the buttons. And there was like one that was a bomb falling and there's one that was like a machine gun. None of the sound. Okay. Where are you going with this? 
Did I sound like a noisemaker? You sounded like this little electronic thing that could that dropped bombs that used to sit on my dad's desk. Anyway. Well, we just anyway. took a little we took a little trip back in time Look, for guys, a second. Look, guys, I'm having a I'm having a I'm having a real one. <laughs> it's been a day. Uh, so yeah, U.S. spending fell 19 percent in Ooh, May damn. compared to the year before. It's the lowest spend since February 2020, which of course, as you'll remember, was right before the pandemic. It was the last full month before the pandemic. Yeah, in the United so, States. So. We are now back below pre-pandemic spending. And we are heading towards a recession. We are. And as Matt pointed out, that is going to be a huge factor. Of course, I'm talking about Matt Piscatella, senior analyst at the NPD, good friend of the show, brilliant person. Uh, he, he always puts these wonderful Twitter threads together that make it so easy for us to cover NPD. So Amanda, let's, uh, let's walk through starting uh, with... Uh, the year-to-date spend and then hardware. Yeah. So year-to-date spending is down 10% compared to 2021 with subscriptions, the only growth segment. Now that's not surprising. It shouldn't be surprising to anyone at this point that the only growth segment right now is subscriptions. Additionally, as people prepared for the new PS Plus launch, that could have helped to motivate that. I'm certain. Yep. Hardware is down 11% to $216 million. Year-to-date, it's down 9% to $1.8 billion. Switch-led units and dollars sa- uh, sorry, switch-led units and dollars, and it leads units for year-to-date. Xbox has the highest dollar, sa- dollar sales year-to-date. I don't know why I'm having so many problems talking today, but apologies. Eh, no big. Uh, software it tells a very interesting story this month. It does, yes. So software overall was down 19% against some tough comps last year. Mm -hmm. But here's what's really interesting. Elden Ring, back on top. Let Uh, me solo her. Yes. Up from number two and leading Xbox and Steam while being second on PlayStation. It is the best seller of the year so far. Huge, 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 huge. It's usually Call of Duty. This is really interesting, especially from a long tail perspective, mm-hmm. because when we talk about the long tail of software in, in the game industry, the long tail is usually fairly depressed, right? Like we, we start to get that downwards curve and then it hits, you know, either close to zero or it ac- actually hits zero. Yeah, but or with it's, Elden it's asymptotical. Ring, so, but with Elden Ring, Elden Ring has had sort of this... I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Well, it's Matt had a lot it of really... Inver- he called it an inverse decay curve. Right. Like because it's ago. been... The the reason why, though, is because it's word of mouth. It's yep. word of mouth that's really doing this. It's the memification. It is... And we talk about this. Memes on social media are everything. It's how you get people interested in like anything from music to television to video mm-hmm. games. So seeing the way that it has moved and bumped up over time as opposed to great initial sales on the, you know, on the front and then tapering off. It's just, I don't think I've ever seen this before. Uh, it's, Outside of an MMO, I mean. Outside right. of an MMO, and, and I've never seen is, this. It's not, it's not a live service game. No, it's it a is, single player game. It's a single player game with multiplayer elements. It's not, it has service elements, but it is not what you think about when you think about service games like MMOs or shared world shooters like Destiny or or games is that what the, they're called as shared world shooters i think that was the original thing we called them back when we started covering destiny at game informer we called it a shared world shooter i don't think i've ever heard that term before yeah shockingly enough so because it's not an mmo no it feels like an MMO. and you're instanced so that whole concept of sharing the world with other people but still being on your own trajectory and on your own path 
um, was was why we kind of landed on that. Oh no, I love it. I just like I said, I just hadn't heard before. But anyway, that the the inverse decay curve has for Elden Ring has been truly something to marvel at because mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a service game. It is not a game that should in theory it just it just breaks so many so many norms. Yes. <laughs> it really does. And it didn't get here on its own, of course. Oh, certainly not. You've got all of From Software's previous games uh plus you have all of the fast follows Ha-ha. on the on the Souls games that have elevated this uh, into yeah, see, yeah. it's uh, Chekhov's terminology. Um, <laughs> Not everything is Chekhov's insert noun here, dude. Now nah, you got to understand that the Chekhov's thing is is a regular inside joke, upends. Uh, so yeah, so it's building upon what has become a thriving subgenre of games. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on with software. Lego Star Wars: The Skywalker Saga was at number two, dropping from number one. A skin still hugely respectable, doing big numbers. It's wholesome. It is. What, what else? I gotta do you play want? more of it. That's yeah, what else do you want from your life? I mean, Vivi's having a great time with it. Oh yeah. Nintendo Switch Sports climbed to number three from number five. Again, remember that Nintendo does not disclose their digital sales. Absolutely. Next up, Evil Dead: The Game debuted at number four, and it was the only new release in the top twenty. And that's the interesting. That is a really interesting wow. note here. That's very different. Yes. Uh, MLB The Show twenty two dropped from number five to number three. Kirby and the Forgotten Land dropped to number six from number four. Again, that does not include digital purchases. Call of Duty Vanguard dropped to number seven from number six. Uh, Mario Kart 8 held at number eight, not including digital sales. Gran Turismo 7 held on at number nine. Pokemon Legends Arceus held at number ten. Again, does not include digital. You're still playing that. I love that game. I am looking forward to diving back in once you're done with it. Yeah, I'm really close to the end. Like, I'm super close to the end of it. Um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare climbed back into the top 20 at number 19, likely due to the Modern Warfare 2 announcement during Summer Games Mess. Yes. And that was, uh, it came up from number 23. Yep. Skyrim. <laughs> what? I What? Skyrim. What? Back at number 20 from number 34, and don't ask me why, but more than half of those sales were on Steam. Oh, everyone's excited for Starfield. I... But no, this was before Star- before the Starfield announcement. Like, oh, I guess it the was, yeah. Like, this is, where this did this come from? I Tell don't us. know. I mean, it's always time for Skyrim, I guess. I, I don't... <sighs> Skyrim, available on literally every platform, except yes. for maybe your augmented reality sunglasses. And I hear that that's coming soon. I mean, of course it is. <laughs> I, I, Todd Howard <laughs> sitting upon his golden throne, releasing Skyrim into the infinite future. Oh my god, is Todd Howard the Emperor? I'm not saying he's not the emperor. Does that make Pete a Primarch? Yes. Oh, Duh. I. this is going to become headcanon and it's dangerous for everyone. I can't wait. To, next time I see Pete, I'm telling him this. <laughs> That's just, I, okay. It's good stuff. Moving on, because Amanda has Warhammer 40k on the brain. Mobile dropped significantly for the Google Play Store. It's down 23% year over year. Spend on iOS was only down about 2.6%. However, the top 10 earning games inched up 1.3% across iOS and Android. This is not shocking to me. Spending is going to continue to trend downward while we head towards a recession and we head towards, you know, even gnarlier inflation. So all I'm going to say to you all is stay safe out there. Absolutely. Genuinely. Absolutely. 
Uh, accessories were down 7% to $131 million for the month. Year-to-date is down 14% to $875 million. Again, DualShock 4 Black was the top seller for the second month in a row. Xbox Elite V2 still leads the year so far. Again, big thanks to NPD and to Matt Piscatella for putting this together in such a digestible format. We're really, really grateful. Okay. Hey, Mike. Hey, hey Amanda. Hey, Mike. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Mike, guess what we have this week? Uh, well, it's the end of the show, and I know what we usually do before the end of the show, so is it a FAFO award? Oh my gosh, it's not just one FAFO award, it's a double header. <gasps> oh my god, two different entities fucked around so badly, and they're both finding out it was so hard to choose. They both win, and they're they both, both have win. to do with Destiny. So anyway... This week's Fuck Around and Find Out Award. You're not going to do the intro? You No, I am. Okay. I'm getting there. Whew. This week's worried. Fuck Around and Find Out Award is a double header. Each week, and by each week we mean when we find people or companies or concepts? Con- Time? Can concepts in fact fuck around? They might. Do Android dr- androids dream of electric sheep fucking around and finding out? Holy crap, this is amazing. <laughs> We're having existential conversations here, people. Each week, or when, you know, we feel like it, we'll pick the person or company in the game industry that has tended their garden from small seeds of fucking around to a sequoia-sized tree of finding out. Oh, man, it's a whole fucking sequoia grove. It is today. Doubleheader. Doubleheader FAFO Award this week, and it's all about making examples of cheating McCheater pantses in Destiny 2. Got it. All right, first up is not actually like a straight-up cheater, but definitely an impersonator. Buckle up, this is a weird one. So we didn't cover it on the show, but Destiny 2 content creators, and even Destiny's YouTube itself, was hit with a deluge of copyright strikes on YouTube earlier this year. And the culprit's been unmasked. Well, his work here is done. It because is. He, because he fucked around and now he's finding out. It's not Tuxedo Mask, oh, though. damn. Yeah, I know. Like, we were so close. So close. So close. So close. Not there, though. Um, <laughs> I almost said the thing I know. from the murder show. I know. But that's not appropriate for this Not show. even a little bit. Nope. <laughs> Nicholas Lord Mazo Minor is accused of fraudulently filing 96 separate DMCA takedown notices throughout mid-March, falsely representing two separate employees from CSE, Bungie's IP Protection Agency. What? Now, no, what? no. It gets, what? No, it gets weirder. What? According to a lawsuit filed by Bungie, Miner was issued legitimate copyright strikes in both December 2021 and March 2022 for uploading the original soundtracks for Destiny's The Taken King and The Witch Queen expansion. Wait, was this, is this a revenge story? It's a revenge story. I told you to buckle up, man. I told you it was going to get weird. In response, Miner spun up two fake CSC email addresses to start the deluge of false DMCA reports. Now listen, Bungie ain't playing around. They're not playing around here because they are looking to hit Miner with $7.65 million worth of statutory damages, which is $150,000 per each work, quote, implicated in the fraudulent takedown notice. Okay, now I need to draw a very clear line here. Because what's happening is that they're looking for statutory damages, not punitive damages. Statutory damages, way easier to get. Way easier. Way easier. But here's the thing I want to really point out here Mm -hmm. with this story. So you're telling me that this guy uploaded copyrighted material 
and got copyright strikes, then did this whole thing and now is getting sued? Yeah. So this is a terfucking? It's a terfucking. It's a fuck around and find out award within a fuck around and find out award? It really is. I love it. It's beautiful. It has so many layers like onions. Oh, and ogres. Ogres are like onions. Ogres are like onions. So here's why this is so important to understand. So DMCA takedowns make creators really skittish, right? And we've talked about this with regards to Twitch. And that skittishness can honestly chase creators away from certain games. Like like when me and Mike were playing uh, Halo. Halo 2. Yeah, we were playing Halo 2 on stream. And I got a takedown notice over... over it because of the soundtrack it, there is, the game. And there is something really weird going on there and we were never able to get answers about what. Nope. And it has a... Well, you didn't get a takedown notice, did you? I it did was get, just muted. No, I got a takedown notice. Oh, crap. Yeah, okay. I had one of three of okay. my takedown notices. I think they scrub it av- after a certain amount well, of time. Sh- so. Nikes. Yeah. Um, so as a, like, as a result, it has an impact on the game's reputation as well. So if Bungie is seen as going around and poking at their own creators unnecessarily, creators are, will, will understandably get upset and peace out for greener pastures. This has a monetary and reputational impact. If you might recall, Nintendo was took a hard line against creators a number of years ago and there was similar things yeah like people are like well then screw it i'm not if you're going to demonetize all my youtube videos screw you i'm not i'm not going to stream nintendo games or make content around nintendo games anymore exactly and they had to reverse their draconian stance on gosh a number of they, things they, but they kind of half reversed it they semi-reversed and it. and i think they probably i think they stopped being quite as aggressive about it which is what ends up happening you've got some companies that are explicitly like, it's cool to, to make content. And others who are just like, we're not going to comment on it, but we're also not going to go after you. Because yeah. we want to reserve the right to go after you if, let's say, you're a Nazi and we don't want you associated with our product. No, no, for sure. And that's like, it's protecting your IP. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what happened with that whole situation with a bunch of, you know, takedown notices, mm-hmm. which was just wild. So now we get to our second FAFO award. Okay. We get to the actual Cheaty McCheater pants of our dual award this week. Canadian companies Elite Boss Tech and 11020781 Canada. Wait, I think I know I think I've seen them on Twitter. That's messed up. Name of the string of numbers. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like a random Canadian. We used flag. to call them eggs, folks. We did. Remember when they were eggs? Yes. Um so anyway, they these two companies have agreed to a 13.5 million dollar settlement and permanent injunction on their Destiny 2 cheat programs. And this is the latest in Bungie's big wins against cheat programs in Destiny 2, including their wins against Ring 1 and Perfect Aim, both of which have closed down since Ubisoft Riot and Bungie took aim at their cheat programs. The agreement also quantifies the financial damage of an individual Destiny 2 cheater at two grand. That's absolutely wild and good. I am really glad to see these people fuck around a little. No, they fucked around a little. No, they but fucked around. But finding out yeah. and in equal proportion. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, uh, the the second of our awards is not nearly as juicy, but still but very, very That's important. a lot of money. That's but a lot at of least, bells. At least these guys can be happy knowing they're not going to share a cell with Gary Bowser. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to jail. And Gary Bowser is definitely going to jail. Yep. All right. And... That was it for our FAFO Awards this week. Yep, and that's it for the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 132 of the Virtual Economy Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Virtual Econcast, and I am personally at Footerish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H. 
And I am at Amanda Farrow. You can subscribe to our RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com. We're also available on all major podcasting platforms, including, but not limited to, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and I think there's like- Pocket Sound! Oh my God, I hate Pocket Sand. It's everywhere again. (laughs) So if you enjoyed enjoyed our strangeness, um, we'd love it if you would subscribe. And if possible, on your platform of choice, like leave us a review, leave us a little love note. Tell us that we're doing a good job. We like gold stars. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You can also, we love listener questions. You can DM us uh, on our personal- Oh, actually, mine's open. Is yours? No. Yeah. Or the Virtual EconCast uh, Twitter account. I learned can, a long time ago. I should not keep my DMs open. Yeah. You can email us at podcast.fsquared.biz. You can also join our Discord. We're glad to provide an invite to you uh, if you are interested. Uh, absolutely. Um, before we sign off for the night, and I know we're running low on battery power here on our <laughs> laptop, um, I do want to say this. Things are things are really tough right now. Um for those of us living in America, whether you are a citizen or not, and in very many ways for people like Manda, who is here as a permanent resident, but not a citizen, and therefore uh, is not eligible to vote, uh, it's that much harder. I want to say that regardless of where you are in this country, um, we're here for you. Uh, things are getting really, really scary. And uh, we don't know what the future is going to hold, um, but it sounds we've seen the signals, especially today, from the Supreme Court about where they're going to try to take rights away next. Uh, for now, we are located in New Jersey. Uh, things uh, like women's right to uh, choose what happens to their own body are still enshrined here in law. Um, and if you ever need to go on a camping trip, uh, we there are some great camping spots here in New Jersey. I can and- even provide like camping advice yes um and we would never ever talk about that camping trip to anyone so uh when we say now our part of jersey is actually really beautiful it it really is um folks when we say we say this every week um wash your hands stay hydrated be good to one another but most importantly right now be good to yourselves it's it's a lot to take in and things are really tough right now so exercise the self-care you need to uh, whether that's staying off social media or indulging in, um, you know, your favorite movie or a video game that can help you take your mind off stuff. Just take, take we care. We suggest unpacking. Unpacking is wonderful. It's um, it, it's really delightful. Uh, but Manda has been actively playing games from Steam Next Fest. Um, hit her up if you have any questions about demos of, of games that are coming that, that are just a really good fit. If you want to talk about Mousseau, I'm here. Uh, <laughs> I got my copy of Fire Emblem Three Hopes, so, so that's Yeah, I'm good. all indies all the time, so listen, I got I got the good hookups. I'm a, I got I'm the a, good stuff. I'm a mix. I'm a I'm a mix of AAA and indies. Um but things are things are really tough out there. And um if you ever need anything, we're here. So thanks for listening to the show. And uh whatever the next week, month, year brings, um please do take care of yourselves. And we're in it together. <laughs>